Excellent job. I said maybe the band wants me to just chill out. So like, let's get, let's play some mellow music to settle Pastor Mike down. No, no, thanks, guys. How about one more hand for those guys? <laughs> well, listen, today we're in our series and it's called, Can I Get a Witness? And the first message we heard was from a traitor, a traitor, someone who betrayed Jesus. The next message that we heard was from a follower, someone who follows Jesus, and today we hear from an enemy of God. Now, before we get too judgy about enemies of God, I want to remind you, if you, if you are, were not in right relationship with Jesus at some time in your life, which is all of us, we were enemies of God. The scripture says that. So, so as we hear today, I want us to, to take a minute and I want us to understand that. And then we come to this conclusion, these people, their perspective was changed. Anybody here ever have a makeover? Anybody? You have a makeover? Yeah. Sometimes a makeover can be, can be pretty dramatic and sometimes it can be subtle. Like for 20 years I had the hair, you know, the hair that does this, you know, and that was for 20. And then finally my wife's like, you need to change your hair. So I'm like, why, girl? This is tight, you know? And she's like, no, you need to go with a part. I was like, I had a part when I was in second grade, you know? And she's like, no, it would be awesome. So I got with Will, showed him a picture, and now every time I go to the shop, I show Will the picture to remind him what it looked like so he doesn't get too creative, you know? Because Will, you know, because I'm a creature of habit. This is we're going on two years with this cut, right? But I'm going to give you a one-word response that can, that can just help you for anyone who's ever had a makeover, and whether you liked it or didn't like it, all you got to do is go, wow. That's it. One word. Pastor Mike, wow. Now, if you go, Wow. It's going to give it away. Or if you go, ooh, wow. No, just wow. So if you see somebody, if you know, my mom always said, if you can't say nothing good, don't say nothing at all. Just say wow. No one will ever know. But uh, it, it'll, it'll keep you out of trouble. But anyway, when you see someone who has had a makeover, especially a, a spiritual makeover, like my, my brother and sister, my brothers and sisters, when I left Florida, I was, um, I, my appearance and my attitude were something of a different kind. And so I, I had long hair down, you know, down on my back, not anything wrong with long hair. I'm not talking about long hair. Pretty people need not apply. All right. So don't tuck your hair up under your hat. Okay. And all that business. But I was at that time, I was 300 pounds. I had long hair. I was a smoker, a drinker and a drugger. I did all those things, and then Jesus changed my life, and I hadn't seen my brother and sister in about two years, and so I, uh, I, I fly to Philadelphia where they pick me up, and I walk off the plane. In that time, Jesus had delivered me dramatically from, from all those things I named, and imagine this. I was healthy living. Wish I could get back to that place, but I weighed 189 pounds. I went from 303 pounds to 189 pounds. My life had been changed in every way. I walked right past my sister. She did not recognize me. I walked off the plane. I had a, I had a sweater on, a pullover sweater, which she was. No, I was known for my jean jacket, my leather. It was a, it was flannel shirt, leather vest, jean jacket. 
you know, rock and roll t-shirt. That's just, that was my thing and a bandana, you know? So I walk right past her thinking that she knew me, but she was joking with me. She did not recognize me at all. Walked right past her. And then I was like, Tammy. And only when she heard my voice and she was just like, Mike, what happened? I said, Jesus, you know? <laughs> then my brother saw me, my other family, other people from the neighborhood. They're just like, I hear your voice, but that ain't you. And so, but what happened for them is they had to see me in a different light. My brother wanted to take me and do the things that we used to always do. But Mike didn't do them anymore. And so he had to see a different person. And so he saw the outside makeover, but more importantly, he saw the inside makeover. So much so that in just a, a few short years, he would end up making a decision to follow Christ himself. So would my other family members. So I say all that to say that sometimes you just have to see people in a different light. And I believe that has to happen in our relationship with God. Because I believe some people have been told things about God that it's just not true. I believe that some people have been told God is vindictive. God stands in heaven with lightning bolts waiting to shock you every time you mess up. He's waiting to crush you. But that's not true. Some of us need a makeover in how we see God. God is a loving, merciful, good, kind, and compassionate. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's the Lord's kindness that brings us to repentance. But we have to see him differently because the truth is, in our world full of chaos, it's hard to see God, isn't it? And God catches the blame for everything bad in this world, doesn't he? He, has, he, he did not have anything to do with it, and yes, yet he catches the blame. So it's important for us to see God for who he is. Some of us need to have a makeover. God needs a makeover in our minds. God is perfect, but you need to see him as he is, as a loving, merciful, kind, and gracious God. And so as we come to this story today in the Bible, we find some enemies of God who see him as just someone to kill. See, Romans were excellent at murdering. That was their job. They cruised. The execution was their thing. They were known for it. And so they, he's just another common criminal that the Jews want us to execute. No problem. Now, Pilate didn't want to do it. Pilate's wife said, you shouldn't do it. So Pilate turns to the people and the people say, kill him. And so Pilate's like, I got to do it. So, so we find this, this, compelling story and Jesus has been arrested and this is how he was treated so you see the soldiers saw Jesus as a common criminal you can fill that in the soldiers saw Jesus as just a common criminal just one more guy to put to death thief revolutionary whatever just he lumped into the crowd he's another criminal that needs to be killed and so it says, then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. Then they put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail to the king 
of the Jews, they said, and they spit on him. And they took a staff and they struck him in the head again and again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. They just saw him as just one more guy that they could brutalize. They knew people said he was the king of the Jews, and so they thought, let's make fun of him. Let's mock him. They spit on him. They beat him. They just treated him like anybody else. You see, the struggle for us is so many times they didn't see God for who he is. They denied who Jesus was, and they rejected that he could be anything, and so they persecuted him. And they mocked him because that was their business. However, it would not remain that way because their perspective would be changed when all of creation testifies who Jesus is. And so what happens in this story is Jesus, he went from a common criminal to the Christ in a matter of hours. In a matter of hours. Look at what the scripture says. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, many people would just read that and pass that by, not understanding that that curtain was to the Holy of Holies, and there was only one person who could go in once a year to offer sacrifices for the people. But Jesus, at his crucifixion and death, that was torn in two because now... Now, no longer would you and I need a human being to advocate for us. Instead, Jesus became our priest. And that thing was thick and it was torn in two, meaning you and I now have access to the throne of God. Unbelievable, right? And so the earth shook and rocks split. The tombs opened up and bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. You see, what I want you to see today is this. Jesus, the resurrection, it isn't an event. No, 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 no. The resurrection is a person and his name is Jesus. Just this morning I read uh, on, on, uh, on the, on the news feed of Google uh, of Yahoo, that they were discovering even more truth about Pontius Pilate. Again, how do they even know him? Because of the historical document known as the Bible that tells the story. And so here we see eyewitnesses, look, and, and they came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection, went into the city and appeared to many people. Now look at this. And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding him saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. Everybody say terrified. You see, everybody calls on Jesus when you're terrified. Right? I remember when Oprah was afraid they were gonna lose, she was going to get all her money taken by them beef people. Y'all remember that story? They were coming after her. They were going to take everything she owned. She said, I was calling. This is her words. I'm not making this up. It was her words. She said, I was calling on Jesus. I wasn't calling on nobody else. She wasn't calling on, oh, universe, save me. Oh, Buddha, save me. Oh, Muhammad, save me. She was calling on Jesus because she knew he was the only one that could help. She was terrified and exclaimed Jesus was the son of God. But it's quick to forget who he is when you find yourself without the beef people. 
right? But these guys, they exclaim, surely he was the son of God. The same group of of soldiers who beat him, spit on him, mocked him, and crucified him take the first step in understanding when nature itself began to testify of the greatness and deity of our Jesus. Creation itself could not stand for it. These pagan executioners realized there was no ordinary young, this was no ordinary man, and the skies went dark in the middle of the day. They see the earth quake. They see creation itself become angry, and all the chaos, they get a revelation. Everybody say revelation. You see, because it's in our chaos that we need the revelation, and Jesus will reveal himself in your chaos if you'll let him. And what do they do? They confess with a loud voice. Dude, this guy was the son of God. Can you imagine how terrified they were realizing they just executed the son of God? The only gods they ever knew of were gods who were vindictive and vicious and monsters and evil. And you can imagine they're thinking God's looking for me, but he ain't looking for me for the right reasons. They confessed. The Jewish leaders who were watching, who knew better, still chose to ignore the scriptures and creation and chose to continue to keep themselves in that position. The signs of nature were not enough for them, but the soldiers recognized something divine was taking place. And so many of us, we come to this place in our culture where they're trying to make Jesus just a great teacher. They're trying to make Jesus just one of the prophets. Right? They're trying to make Jesus just a revolutionary, just a historical character, and they want to deny the deity of Jesus. You cannot ignore the deity of Jesus. So what happens? They realize that there's power in the name of Jesus. He goes from criminal to Christ. I wonder. I wonder what life may have been like for that centurion who made that that declaration. I wonder what his life may have been like after witnessing for himself, witnessing for himself the divine nature of Jesus. Maybe we'll hear from his widow and see how his life was changed. I was excited to see Titus when they came marching back into town. And He had been gone on this last campaign to Jerusalem for what seemed like forever. It was always a big deal when the army returned to Rome. There were street festivals that filled everything with singing and dancing and so much fun. Eventually, Titus made it back to the house, and the children rushed to the door as they always would, and he would bring trinkets and treats that he collected along the way. As I sat there and watched them playing together, the strangest thing happened. 
It was like nothing I've never experienced before. He looked up at me, and I didn't recognize him. He was a completely different person. I couldn't put my finger on it. I mean, Titus was a soldier soldier with years of war and battles. It left him collapsed and scarred, not just on the outside, but on the inside as well. But when he looked up at me, and we looked at each other for the first time, I saw something that I've never seen in him before. I saw compassion. After a while, the children went to sleep and we were alone. And I took the opportunity to ask if he was okay. He said yes. But then he grabbed my hands and looked into my eyes and said, Ursula, I have to tell you something. Something happened to me in Jerusalem, and tears began to fill his eyes. I was terrified. What could have happened? What could he have done in Jerusalem to make a hardened soldier like him cry? I decided in advance to not be shocked by anything that he said, so then I wouldn't push him away. He told me that he crucified a man in Jerusalem. I was confused. I asked him, isn't that what you do? <laughs> and he said to me, this wasn't just any man, Ursula. This was the son of God. I thought to myself, well, he finally lost it. Well, has all the horrors and wars and conquests finally drove him mad? But I looked at him again, and his eyes were still filled with tears. But this time, there was strength and confidence that I've never seen in him before. So I knew whatever he was saying, he believed in his heart to be true. So I let him continue, uninterrupted, even though I had questions. Then he went on to tell me, as tears were streaming down his face, that the man's name was Jesus. And he explained to me how Jesus died and all the events that happened and took place afterwards. I was shocked. Remember the whole idea of me not being shocked? <laughs> well, that went out the window. My mouth was wide open as he told me this amazing story, but I still didn't understand why he was crying. I mean, was he afraid that this God was going to seek revenge on him? But that wasn't the reason at all. He went on to tell me that after the crucifixion, he decided to do his own investigation. And he found out that Jesus did these amazing things, opening the blind's eyes, healing the sick and disease, walking on water, and telling everyone about God's love. Then he told me something I couldn't believe. He said that Jesus was still alive. And I was confused, so I asked him again. I thought that you said that you killed him. And he said, oh, I did, but God brought him back to life. <laughs> At this point, I figured he was suffering from post-traumatic stress or something. But then he went back, and he decided to do his own research on Jesus' resurrection. He found out from two guards that was guarding the tomb that this amazing thing happened that night, I mean, that morning, when they realized that the tomb was empty, 
they were paid to be quiet and not say a thing. But there was this huge stone that blocked the entranceway of the tomb with Jesus inside. And then that morning, it was removed, and the tomb was completely empty. They said there was no way that humans could have opened that. And they were there all night. Then, of course, afterwards, Titus went to go speak with one of Jesus' followers, Peter, about two months after Jesus passed. And Peter went on to tell Titus that Jesus sacrificed his life so that he can conquer death and offer us eternal life for all who believed in him. Titus told Peter that he believed him because he was the guard at the cross, and at that moment he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I didn't know how much of the story I could believe, but all I knew was that the man that went to Jerusalem two years earlier, he was changed. So, Titus left the military after he fulfilled his commitment, and he was so different. I mean, just in the way that he spoke to me and the kids, I mean, of course, he was decent to us before, but this time he was more loving and kind. I eventually began to believe in this Jesus, believe it or not. I mean, how couldn't I? Titus have changed so much. I've been with him for 10 years before, and he had completely changed. I mean, he was still tough in a soldier soldier, but this time he had something that he was missing all along. He had compassion and love. Sadly, Titus passed away 20 years after, and the beauty of it all is that he went to go see the man that he crucified, but this time not as his enemy, but as his friend. The beautiful thing of this is that the last words that Titus said to me was that he could not wait to see Jesus and tell him how sorry he was. And I told him that would be necessary because if I remember the story correctly, no one killed Jesus that day. He gave his life as a ransom for many. So it's been five years since Titus went to be with the Lord, and I miss him every day. But I catch a glimpse of him every time I meet someone and look into their eyes and see the look on their face when they realize who Jesus is for the first time. It reminds me of that day when Titus returned home from Jerusalem and told me about a man named Jesus who he called, and I have now considered to be my redeemer, my savior, and my friend. Thank you. When you hear that story and you think, what could have been? You and I all have an opportunity to tell the story about a redeemer, a savior, and a friend. I told you that my brother and my sister saw me, and when they saw me, they knew something was different, but they, they had to see the whole story. You see, it was 3 a.m. in the morning in a trailer in Dade City, Florida, when I met my redeemer, my savior, and my friend. 
when he took away all the pain and all the hurt and all the suffering. And he changed my life. And I started to see Jesus differently. And then I pledged to make my life all about Jesus because it's always been about Jesus and it's always going to be about Jesus. And here it is three decades later, continuing to proclaim the same message. Ten years in our church, it's all about Jesus because it's always been about Jesus and it's always going to be about Jesus. It just makes sense. You see, you and I, when we ask the question, can I get a witness, it's all of us. Maybe you're not the centurion, but you have a story. Maybe your story is different than my story, but we need that story so the world will know who Jesus is. What I love about the testimony of Ursula is she said it was, it was his story plus his behavior that brought about a change. And that's what people need to see in us. You can't just share the gospel. You have to live the gospel. And then it begins to, to change people's hearts. You see, the first step is confessing Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the first step. Matthew 16, 13 through 15 says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And I asked that question in 2019 to this world, to this neighborhood, to St. Petersburg. And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And some say he was a good teacher, and some say he was a great this, and some people say he was a historic figure, and some people say he's one of the roads to heaven. But what about you? You see, Jesus is interested in what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Am I just a great teacher? Am I just a revolutionary? Am I just one of your paths? Or am I the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way? And Simon Peter said, man, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said he would build his church on that truth. And it's still being built today. See, that's the confession part. Then we move to the next part, which is belief. We move to that belief system. And Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth you confess and are saved. You know what the word justified means? As if I never did. I love that testimony because, you know, Titus is saying, man, I want to see Jesus and tell him how sorry she is. That's not necessary. From what I understand, he did, you didn't take his life. He gave his life for you and for me. It's as if you never did. How beautiful is that? And men, my men in my Bible study on Wednesday nights, you know, you know what we always say. What is the first fruit of belief? Repentance. Repentance. Not 360, because if you do it 360, where do you end up? Right back where you started, a 180 turns you around. So belief is connected with repentance. It's the first and final step. It means to turn away from sin and toward God. It means to agree with God that you need him. And Romans 5, 6 through 11 says, you see, just at the right time. Everybody say at the right time. 
When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good someone may possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since now we have been justified as if we never did by his blood, how much more will be we saved from God's wrath? through him for look at this if we or if when we were God's enemies right we were reconciled to him through the death of his son how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life not only is this so but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through now we have now received reconciliation this is the hope this is the view that we need to see God You see, people ask the question all the time. They say, when's God going to do something about evil? When's God going to do something about all the tragedies? God already did something about evil. He already did something about these tragedies. He sent his son, Jesus, into the world. (laughs) The question is, when are you going to do something? When are you going to change When are you going to see how this truth can change you forever? And the question is, how do you see Jesus? I once had a lady ask me, she said, how can you, how can you say all of these terrible things? And how can you say that God is good when, when these things happen on a regular basis? And I asked her, well, are you a good person? And she said, yes, I'm a good person. I said, well, that's funny. When's the, what's, when's the last time you stopped slavery? You stopped sexual slavery because that was a question. What have you done? Because you know it's in St. Petersburg right now. So what are you doing? She said, well, I'm not doing anything. I said, so that means you're not good. Because you're not doing anything. Right? I said, I'm just holding you to the standard that you're judging God. You're judging God by asking me this question, and I'm just holding you by the standard because the Bible says, by the standard that you judge, you shall be judged. So according to you, God is not good or God doesn't exist because he's not doing anything, so you're not good and you don't exist. And then I told her, the truth of the matter is God has done something. He has. He sent his son Jesus, and then he sends people like me and you I said, we partner with a group called the A21 campaign, and we're seeing people set free from sexual slavery on a regular basis. God has done something, and he's still doing something. He's saving people like me and you, putting the same spirit that raised Christ in the dead in us, and then we go out, and we are the ones that proclaim Jesus. Hallelujah. But it, it, it means how do we see God? Is he a good historical figure, a teacher? Does he go with your pantheon of gods? You just add Jesus to it. I can already tell you, God doesn't play well with other gods. If you leave your God alone with my God, your God's going to be headless and handless when you come back. You don't believe me? That's a Bible story. They left, the Philistines left Dagon with the Ark of the Covenant. They came back in the morning and his head and hands were gone. Our God does not play well with other gods. He stands alone. He is the only God. 
But what it really comes down to, guys, is love. See, all these other gods, I have to do all this other stuff. And the truth of the matter is there are no gods at all. But my God did everything for me. He redeemed me when I didn't deserve it. He saved me when I couldn't save myself. And he has been my friend even when I have betrayed him. The Bible says he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But listen, this morning is all about you and your opportunity. And I don't want to rush through this moment. I can't rush through this moment. I want you to carefully consider who Jesus is to you. And then I want to give you a chance to decide for yourself and you make a choice. But before we do that, there's a song. It's simply called Redeemer, Savior, Friend. I want you to watch this video. And as you watch this video, you're going to see clips from the passion of the Christ. And you're going to hear a song, Redeemer, Savior, Friend.
I think sometimes we forget just how human Jesus is and was. That scene where Mary is washing his hands and he splashes her and then he kisses her. I think sometimes we forget the sacrifice that was made for you and for me. It required a human bodily sacrifice the perfect lamb to redeem us, to save us, and to offer us friendship with God. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to come in the right relationship with Jesus. I want to give you that chance to make that decision for yourself. And I'm not going to promise you an easy road, but what I am going to promise you is Jesus will walk with you day by day, moment by moment, step by step, and he will never forsake you. And you're not going to be perfect, but you're being perfected. Would you bow your heads? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today. And Jesus, we need you. We need you. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Mike, man, I need Jesus more than my next heartbeat. I need Jesus more than my next breath. I need my Redeemer, my Savior, my friend. If that's you, will you just slip your hand up high in the air unashamedly before God? Yes. Thank you. Unashamedly. Yes. Before God. Yes. I need you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I see that. Yes. Thank you. You may place your hands down. Everyone within the sound of my voice, we're just going to simply pray this prayer. What I love about prayer is it's just simply praying and talking to God. It can happen any place, anytime, anywhere. And we just simply say, Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. I right now confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And I confess my sins. I repent and I turn away from my sin. And I know that I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm being perfected. And I ask you to walk with me step by step, moment by moment through this life. Jesus, be my redeemer, be my savior, and be my friend. I ask this prayer through faith in Jesus. And the church said, Amen and amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap today because he's an amazing God? If you said that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Are we perfect? 